Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. How much time? You're on. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotchy scotch scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Conversations about collaboration, episode 79. Teresa Sintra joins me. She is the country manager at NC Scale. We talk about low code, no code tools, Airtable, Netflix, and Anchorman. Let's get it on. Teresa, where does this pod find you? <laughs> Hi, Phil. Uh, this pod finds me in Lisbon, my, my hometown. You are the first polyglot to appear on my show. <laughs> Uh, Lisbon, so you speak Portuguese and English, Spanish and French. Did I get that right? Yes. Um, and I mean, first of all, thank you for teaching me what the, the word means. Now I know and I know how to refer to myself. Um, but it's just, you know, when you're when you speak Portuguese, which is it's my native language and arguably one of the hardest to learn because we speak so fast. Hmm. When you when you know Portuguese and you know English, you'll inevitably start catching on to French and Spanish and German and Italian because there are so many similarities. So your brain just goes to to each language and tries to find the meanings. But I am fluent in French and, and Spanish. That's <laughs> it's a fact. I'm not. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, bueno. Well, you speak a lot of languages <laughs> and you use a bunch of different tools in your role at NC Scale. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what the company does and your role there. All right. So, yeah, sure. NC Scale is the tool that's here to increase observability over no codes. All right. So, I know that we're in a podcast that's called Conversations About Collaboration. And it's really fitting because when it comes to collaborating, a lot of people will be working on the same no-code tools inside a company. So they'll use, I don't know, Airtable for something and then Zapier to automate something else. And then, I don't know, their page builder is Webflow or something like that. And there's several people working on these tools at the same time. And yet there isn't really a tool that will give you an overview of all of that. So nowadays you can easily work with no-code on an individual basis but when it comes to connecting with your teammates and sharing your work and documenting in an efficient way it's not possible yet um but that's exactly what we're trying to to solve at nc scale um we think that no code teamwork and workflows need to be backed up by four things first one documentation second one is security measures um, proper alerting features, very important, and an efficient debugging mechanism. And that's these are the four things that NC Scale offers to their users so that you can finally view your entire no-code stack, have a true 360 view over your entire work. So that's what we do. Um, what do I do at NC Scale? I am the region manager for the for North America, so US and Canada. And so nowadays it's mostly business development, establishing partnerships, 
more and more social media, surprisingly. I didn't think it would be a part of my job, but here we are. Here we <laughs> That's are. really interesting. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said about debugging, because one of the points that I make in low code, no code is that citizen developers are still developers. And even though it may not occur to them that they're building an app and they'd have to support it with, with training and technical support, um, they still need to be concerned about those things. That doesn't mean that they're going to need to learn how to write Python or JavaScript, but talk to me a little bit about the debugging. Um, I, I think it's essential if you're creating your own app and it doesn't work, okay, you fix it. But if I'm rolling something out and expect other people to use it and it doesn't work, Right. I may have shot myself in the foot. Exactly. And that's this is the part where we're most adamant at um, NC scale. Um, it's the fact that when issues occur, it's on you to find out about that issue. Because if a zap is broken, you only find out when you go to Zapier and find out that it is in fact broken. And that's somebody says, why didn't this critical. happen? Right. Exactly. Which, Who did this? Right. <laughs> Who did this? When and why? Um, so, which obviously can be very frustrating. And there's no wonder that so many large companies are reluctant to work with no code tools because these tools are lacking the proper alerting features, which then means that they don't have the debugging mechanisms that they should. Um, with NC scale, we have, um, we can provide you with all the logs from all your no-code tools. And it means that you have this um, ability to go on NC scale, see all the last edited items across all your entire no-code stack so that you can clearly see, okay, yesterday this was changed, this was changed, why? Let's talk about it. Let's see if this version is better than the last and work as a team that way. Oh, we get to talk about metadata. <laughs> I, I'm a fan. I, it's what I've had in my college professor days. Students say, I didn't cheat. I go, well, really, your name is Teresa Sintra. But in the properties of the document you turned in, your name was, I'm a Seinfeld fan. So I'll go with George Costanza. Can you explain that to me? And it's, okay, <laughs> you got me. And even, even IT wise, going back now, gosh, maybe 20 years on consulting gigs, I remember sometimes people saying, I absolutely did not do this. So mm -hmm. I pull up the audit log and say, well, someone sitting in your seat logged in with your account at 2.37 on a Tuesday did this. And all of a sudden it was, yeah. oh, wait, yes, I did. <laughs> oh, wait, now on second thought, you're right. right. <laughs> yeah, but, but I yeah. do on a number of fronts. First, if these tools integrate really well, then it can be confusing. So I know for a fact that... You know, it's very easy to integrate Zapier with with a Notion or with a, a, any you know probably thousands of different tools and services at this point. But finding out who did what when can be at least a little bit challenging to non -tech technical folks. And mm -hmm. then you said something else really interesting about larger companies in some cases not using low code no code tools, but clearly that's not universally true. I know on yeah. your company's website you write a little bit about how Netflix uses Airtable. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, I think for big companies, Netflix is a great case, a great example. For big companies, it's all about the IT managers and convincing the IT managers because those are, you know, arguably the most skeptical profiles at a company where anytime that you try to sell them a software, they will always be like, no, not for us. But 
and again, I don't, you know, it's uh, sort of the topic now, so I'll keep mentioning it. Um, the big advantage of NC scale is that for IT managers, it gives them that visibility. So it's like, if you go, for example, to Netflix, where they're already using uh, no-code tools, does the IT manager have 100% visibility over how the company's using no-codes? Maybe not. So if they're, especially if they're using more than one no-code tool, they should consider NC scale because that will give them that visibility. I think the reason why some companies, you're right, it's definitely not all of them, we're seeing uh, more and more adoption. Um, some of them are still skeptical because it's, it seems like the easy way to, to work. And it's, listen, just like you don't expect traditional web development tools to give you all the alerting, all the debugging, all the security features, you shouldn't expect the same thing from no-code tools, right? You can't expect to use Bubble and for all your data to be 100% secure and for there never to be a data breach. That's not Bubble's, uh, Bubble's business model, right? They're there to provide you a service and to make it easier to build a web page, but that's it. And so yeah, we need I, to trust I, other, other sources for that scalability. Yeah, it seems to me that folks who are um, opposed to using no-code and low-code tools might dunk on security from any one vendor. And breaches happen all the time. It's not like if you build your own system or purchase a COTS application like you know, an ERP or CRM application from Microsoft or Oracle. Mm -hmm. It's not like those systems never experience any security issues. So right. I, I find that if you want to find a reason not to do something, in this case, low, no code, low code, then you can find it. But to me, yeah. the benefits are so much greater than the cost. And when you, when you talk about visibility, I'll be devil's advocate for a second. If I work as a CIO for a large company and I say, fine, use Airtable, use Notion, use whatever you want, as long as we don't have to support it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a big selling point. I mean, and they might not want some of the visibility into it because then they have to devote resources to it that they're otherwise would devote to other systems. Yes, but the costs of shadow IT and the cost of IT managers having to then go and clean up the mess once errors have been made, the cost of that is so much higher than just, you know, footing the bill for that Airtable and for that Zapier and for whatever it is. Because unfortunately, we're still at a stage with no code where we only worry about security and bugs and data breaches once they've occurred, right? And for, for a large scale company, they just can't afford to do that. You can't, especially when you're using no code to deal with very confidential uh, data, banks, hospitals, whatever it is. Um, so in that sense, I would still argue that just foot the bill for the no code. <laughs> At this point, we've all known, your company's already using it. Um, citizen developers, although they're great because they're prone to innovation and they like to take the lead and do things their own way, which is great. They're usually not developers and they're usually not cybersecurity managers, right? Which means that they're gonna be using no codes without a clue of what the issues or the risks could be. Well, that's because um, they haven't read my book yet. 
and that's because they haven't taken my workshop yet. On or that, channel. yeah. <laughs> but, but no, but I, I agree with you. Some folks don't know what they don't know. And it's one thing if you create a spreadsheet or an access database or something, and it's just for you. Um, yeah. You know, there might be some risks with that. But then if you're using some of these third-party tools and you don't understand them. So one of the points that I like to make talking to folks about no-code, low-code tools is that if you set up an automation with Make or Zapier or something else, then it'll do that. Um, but do you necessarily want to automate it? For If you are having to make manual corrections 40% of the time, then mm -hmm. it makes sense to automate 60% of the time. But I'm exactly. not sure that citizen developers, because they might know HR or sales or finance or marketing really well, but they don't know much about, they don't think like programmers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that's the big um, difference. I was talking to um, um, Matt Hubbard the other day, and I think we cracked. Um, For the, the listeners the who don't know, that's the CEO of Bubble, right? No, no, sorry, not at all. <laughs> Matt Hubbard is, um, he was one of the key speakers at Citizen Developer Week um, a few weeks ago, and he is now at, Trackvia, okay. oh, or he was at Trackvia now at Agile Point, but in the NoCo world, he's um, he has a lot of followers. He's sort of an influencer. He okay. describes himself, I think, as the early adapter of NoCo because he's been doing it for years and years and years, and he's a big advocate. Um, so I was talking to him, and he was saying, like, you know, because NoCo is fun. People use NoCo because it's fun. But then I was like, yeah, but maintaining no codes about discipline and you have this crash or this, yeah, this clash in, in personalities because you sign up to no code thinking, oh, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to move modules around and I'm going to automate things and everything has a cool name like a zap. It sounds cool. Mm. But then there's the other side of the coin, which is you're using no code to deal with company information. That's enormous responsibility. You don't want that responsibility only on your hands. You have to share that. You have to make it clear to the entire company how you're using it to make sure that you're also the, the sort of a problem shared is a problem halved. You know, once you share with the IT teams, if you if you drop the ball and right. share confidential information, it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> Interesting. I hadn't heard that expression before, but it sounds like you're talking about DevOps. So forget no code, low code for a minute, but I've heard about DevOps now for probably 10 years and you've got your developers to like to who like to build things and you've got your operations folks, but that's why the, the whole IT term, as you know, is a bit of a monolith, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, but I never thought about that in the context of low-code, no-code because, I mean, you can do it a bunch of different ways, but if I am the, you know, call me the product manager of a Notion tool or an Airtable base, in theory, it could all go through me and I could funnel in the user requests and I could develop a roadmap and all the things that normal product owners or product managers would do. But again, I, I don't know that a lot of citizen developers, to your point, think about that. It's more, this process is automated. It sucks. I can use Zapier or Make to automate it. Why wouldn't I? And there's a lot to be said for that. But as you were saying, you know, what happens with that information? What happens if there's an error? Who's going to maintain it? that might not be something that occurs to some of these citizen developers. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and I'm not um, in any way 
like complaining about the citizen developer movement. I think it's it's great. I'm just saying that IT managers at this point in 2023 should just accept that citizen developers are a thing and will continue to be a thing. Preach it, sister. Of... <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> Not like I agree. Yeah, I mean, just it. accept it. Yeah. And, and I was on the, the NC scale website earlier and you quote some of the same statistics that I do in my book. I mean, you, you can't ignore this. And I'd argue that COVID and, and lockdown, remote and hybrid work uh, intensified the development of these tools because when everyone or most people work in a physical office, you, for just as a simple example, didn't need an app to track who was going to be in today. But if a company downsizes, right, they used to have whatever, 10,000 square feet. Now they have 5,000, but they have roughly the same number of employees and everyone shows up. Well, if you're going to make me commute an hour to work and you don't have a place for me to sit, that's going to annoy you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in that way, I just, I am not the, the best example here because I work for a French company, but I am in Lisbon a lot of my time. So <laughs> there's really no commuting for me except for a flight a two-hour flight, which is already enough commuting for a month. Um, but but yeah, I think that goes to your point and what you we, we were talking about earlier um, about how, for me, there's no team building exercise that's better than working in the same office. Because for me, and we're switching topics here, it's just that I, I remember it's what we were saying earlier. Um, but... For me, I I just don't understand, and maybe because I've never experienced it, but I don't understand how companies can have hundreds or thousands of employees that work from home and then organize a team building dinner and expect it to have the same results as if people were working, you know, next to each other every day. And I completely understand and I am for the work from home movement. Um, I think especially in in Lisbon and in in bigger cities, it helps to develop cities around the capital, which is great. You no longer have this need to work in the center, um, which just it's great for developing a country and it's a great problem. It's actually a big problem that we have in Portugal is that you have Lisbon and then there's nothing else. Um, so in that case, I think it's a great thing. I just, you know, you, you can't have the same results if you don't even know the people you're working with. Didn't Portugal a year ago or so announce a digital, I'm sorry, digital, um, a visa for digital nomads? So they announced it, I think, one or two years ago. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and now it's, to be honest, I'm not going to lie, it's a huge problem. <laughs> oh, everyone wants now, to go there? Everyone wants to go there. Um, it's a digital nomad visa added to the fact that I think, and I may be uh, making some weird confusion here, but I think Forbes or something did an article on how Lisbon was the next San Francisco, which, mm. you know, Lisbon has a lot of charm, but it's not San Francisco. <laughs> I love Lisbon, uh, but it's completely different cities. But that also added to the to the whole movement. And now you have... To be honest, in my opinion, a city, Lisbon, that is made for the tourists. 
And that's a huge problem we're seeing now. And it's very mm. sad. Mm. Um, but you believe that the best collaboration tool is being in person at least some of the time. And I, I love that sentiment because I can geek out on tools all day long. You know, I right. my first computer when I was 12 years old and you know, fancy myself a proper geek. But I agree with you. There's something to be said for, I think, purposeful travel. And I think, I don't know about Lisbon or Portugal, but it seems like in the US, we're landing on a three-day in-person work week. And mm. what those three days are, again, if it's going to vary by manager or industry or particular job, but is that what it's like over there? Or are many people fully remote and companies comfortable with that? Um, yeah, a lot of companies are fully remote still. I don't think we've had um, any any incentives from the from the government or anything for people to go back to to the office. Um, I know, you want me for to make example, a call? <laughs> could you please? I think it's about time. Right, right after <laughs> we finish recording, I'll, I'll I'll make a call. You have some connections. I, um, I know people, Teresa. <laughs> people know me. <laughs> Um, no, Are we going yeah, up on an Anchorman? <laughs> is, is that is Anchorman popular over there? It's not, but my boyfriend's American from from Los Angeles, and he showed me Anchorman like twice already. And so <laughs> I was just in Montreal for a Marillion concert, and I met a guy, and you know, did it for the concert. So you become fast friends. And so where are you from? And he goes San Diego, and we just spent <laughs> immediate best friends. <laughs> Oh, we just spent 15 <laughs> minutes. I don't think I even asked him his name, but it was just, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. And, uh, you know, I'm 60% of the time it works every time. Um, yes. Don't act like you're not impressed. <laughs> Some leather, leather brown books. <laughs> you, were, you were saying, sorry. I don't even know what I was saying. Um, no, yeah. So I think I would say in Lisbon, most people I know are working from home. And then there's people I know that work for Portuguese companies, and those are more and more at the office. But just like you have a lot of digital nomads, because Portugal's cheap and it's very relaxed lifestyle, you also have a lot of startups coming to Lisbon. But those startups rent a small office and then everyone works from home. So for those cases, yes, everyone's working from home. It's becoming more and more like Barcelona. Have you been to Barcelona? I've never been to Barcelona. <laughs> well, if I went, really I don't know simple. if I'd ever come back. I've heard it's beautiful. <laughs> um, it is beautiful. I am biased, obviously, but the beaches in Portugal are so much better. So okay. much better. Yeah. There's more things to do in Barcelona, I would say. More like um, parties, fairs, markets, events, festivals. But the beaches in Portugal are just so much better. <laughs> I can't compare. Noted. So, yeah. Well, I will get you out of here on this. What either book are you reading or TV show are you currently watching? Okay, book going through a very difficult phase. I can't uh, commit to anything right now. Um, TV show, I am watching Bored to Death. Have you watched it? Oh, that's the one with um, Ted Danson and Jason Schwartz, yes. right? Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, that went off exactly. the air about 10 years ago, right? Was it four seasons? It, uh, I think it's three, unfortunately. Okay. I'm on season two. I okay. watch it every day and I, I'm hooked. I, I don't understand how they could end it on season three. <laughs> For me, it should have been a 10 season wonder, but it wasn't. Good stuff. It's great. Stuff. I love Ted Danson. It's by far his best performance, in my opinion. <laughs> Fellow Carnegie Mellon alumnus. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 
I had no idea. <laughs> well, Teresa, thanks for joining me. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Phil. This was great. Um, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. <laughs> Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.